five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. So, software for satellites. We are overdue to talk about it. It's important and it could be a big business opportunity for reasons you'll hear about in this episode. My guest is Alvaro Alonso Ruiz, co-founder of the French startup LeanSpace. They have raised a 6 million euro seed round late last year. Enjoy. My name is Raphael Rodkin and I'm an investor and advisor to space companies. Just as a reminder, this podcast is for informational purposes only and nothing should be taken as investment advice. This podcast is sponsored by NanoAvionics, a satellite manufacturer and mission integrator. Their technologies enable many space companies worldwide to offer services that improve life right here on Earth, such as providing global connectivity, conducting Earth observation, or contributing to scientific discoveries. Check them out and also check out my episode with the CEO and co-founder. Sadly, I am not a rocket scientist, but I'm an alumnus of the International Space University. ISU offers a number of educational programs about space worldwide. Check them out at isunet.edu. And just some final things before we start the episode about ourselves. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform, such as Apple or Spotify. If you want us help expand our work, you can do so and support us at www.patreon.com forward slash space business podcast. And we'll also put that link in the episode notes. And lastly, you can follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore space. Hey, space enthusiasts, time for another episode. My guest today is Alvaro Alonso Ruiz. He's a co-founder and chief commercial officer of a Strasbourg-based space startup called Lean Space. Welcome, Alvaro. Thank you for having, having me. No, it's, it's our pleasure. So, Alvaro, as usual, I'm going to ask you as the first question to please give us the elevator pitch on Lean Space. Sure. In this space, we're working uh, on the on the ground segment and, and satellite operations side of space missions. Um, today, uh, there are two ways to build ground software to manage the space missions. Um, you can buy products uh, which are convenient because they are fast to configure, but they serve the one use case. So as each space mission tends to be unique, a lot of companies actually decide to build from scratch, which is the second way to build. Building from scratch has a lot of advantages because you can build something close to your use case. But of course, it takes years and it costs uh, a fortune. Our breakthrough at Lean Space was to see that although every space mission is unique and needs custom tools, 80% of all the software is always the same. And I'm talking about software to move data, decode data, store data, monitor data. It's always the same thing. And it's always this 20% on top, which is custom to the use case. Mm -hmm. um, so what we did at Lean Space was to decouple this 80% with the 20% on top. So what we have built is this 80%. We make it available uh, as a cloud platform dedicated to the space industry. So the mm -hmm. technical name is Platform as a Service. Mm -hmm. And we make available this 80% as building blocks. It's basically all the generic functions of ground software. And our customers use them uh, to develop their custom systems for satellite design, hardware testing, satellite operations, managing the ground networks. And, and the, the real value that this has is that um, space organizations using Lean Space, they can build their custom software systems, but drastically faster drastically cheaper and on a much better technology. And everything they build is natively connected, which solves the problem of like companies uh, 
procuring point solutions that solve individual problems but don't talk to each other. What we do at Lean Space, we didn't invent anything. So what we do has been done previously in many other industries. Um, so, for example, a company called Backbase did it for finance. Viva did it for health tech. Uh, Shopify did it for e-commerce. We're bringing this new way of building software for the space industry. Okay, understood. So just to clarify, you are basically a software company. When first you started talking about the ground segment and maybe some of the business imagine satellite ground stations, but you're, you're not doing any hardware, right? You're purely a software company. That is correct. That is correct. The ground segment uh, consists of the ground stations, which is basically the antenna that connects to, to the satellites. But then you have a, a lot of software uh, that is managing the mission. Uh, throughout the life cycle mm -hmm. software sure. from the mission design to the building and testing of the hardware to running the operations to delivering the, the products to the user space missions are run through software and that's what we do okay but but there's of course also software on the satellites so again just a clarifying question are you guys also including that or is it really just the software that's running on the ground the, we focus on the software that is running on the ground um, that is the, the software that is, let's say, managing the mission as a whole. Yeah. Okay. Understood. And before we dive into like some more details on sort of, you know, what the full product cycle looks like, which I'm curious about, let me ask another question that I usually like to ask is like, how did you guys like, for example, what's your background and, and you are one of the co-founders and sort of, how did you guys come up with, with doing this? Why did you think it was important to do this? Um, well, I mean, um, um, Lean Space, we are four co-founders. Uh, we're all engineers. Um, and we um, we have been operating the space industry for many years, and as I would say, as every good startup, uh, Lean Space uh, came to be out of frustration because um, the co-founders of Lean Space uh, we have worked the four of us previously uh, in other industries, mm -hmm. and we saw how advanced they were on their digital journeys. And when we landed in space many years ago, we so the, the, the software tools that are used to manage space missions. And we were pretty, pretty surprised on, on, on the, the um, legacy technologies that were used um, on the, the, um, the old school approach uh, to, to building ground infrastructures. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we have been working for space agencies, uh, for big um, space enterprises, but also with new space startups. And the story was repeating itself. Every company, uh, they were rebuilding uh, things from scratch. Um, in space, we saw that um, traditionally there is a very, very big focus on you know, the satellite, the, the rocket, the fire mm -hmm. at the launch. We really like those things. And software was always a second thought. It was never important. Mm -hmm. um, in the past, when when you know space missions costed an, an arm and a leg, uh, and you know the the software was a very small part, and and when you when typically when space missions were uh, for like more space exploration kind of thing, um, budgets were never an issue, timelines were never ending, um, it, it was not a, a competitive environment. So mm -hmm. you know you could afford to have like. Um, I don't know, an army of engineers uh, build, doing things manually. You could mm -hmm. afford to have massive delays in space missions, but it's mm -hmm. not the case anymore. And, mm -hmm. and when we were working in the space industry, we saw that the industry was commercializing itself, but the, the mentality of the space engineers was not shifting into a more uh, digital uh, way of doing things. And, and again, the, the satellite is just an asset. It's like a laptop. 
for all that matters, right? It's, it's an asset mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. does that thing. Mm -hmm. But the way you um, you um, operate this asset, the way you optimize these operations, the way you increase the efficiency of your business, the, the, the tools you use to actually run your business from the beginning to the end, everything is the software on the ground. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, we were very frustrated seeing that other industries were, were a decade ahead of space in this digital journey. Mm -hmm. um, we were uh, surprised that you know, space engineers, we, uh, we thought that space was different. It was like a um, state-of-the-art technology, but in many aspects, we were like so much behind. So we thought to, to build the in-space. Mm -hmm. to actually bring these digital technologies and digital transformation to the industry. And and related to that, why why did you call it lean space? I mean, that's, do you think current space is like bulky or maybe it's like lean startup philosophy or what, what's the origin? Yeah, basically it, it's a play on words. So actually what we want to do is to make space lean. Mm. Um, right now, for example, um, uh, when you are... Um, building a, a new space mission and you have to put together a ground segment. Just put together the, the software on the ground. This takes months to years. Um, uh, there's a lot of legacy technologies used. So um, a lot of a lot of software doesn't scale. So for example, we see all these mega constellations, but then, you know, like the software used for the one satellite, it doesn't work when you have 10, 100, 1,000. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work. It doesn't scale. Mm -hmm. um, we, we, saw, we saw all these less hurdles that that you know that don't make space missions lean that they um bloat budgets significantly make space missions super long super delayed over and over again mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. our vision is to make space lean so that any new company that comes to this to the industry they can just you know build a ground segment in a matter of weeks instead of years mm -hmm. um scalable cloud native you know um and uh, and even the existing satellite operators that are a bit stuck with old technologies, we, we allow them to make a transition to these new digital technologies uh, in a very easy way to make their companies more efficient. Mm -hmm. No, no, I was going to now jump to the sort of product cycle, right? So I think motivation is is, is understood by now, but let's delve into more detail in the, in the product cycle because, you know, we're, we're a non-technical podcast. And so people may not, listeners may not be aware of exactly what software does. Um, on, on the ground. So maybe, I mean, either hypothetically, or if you want and, and can use an, use an actual customer as an example, sort of like from, from the very start, from, I guess, the design of the spacecraft to on orbit operation, like where does, where do your software libraries come in and what do they do? Today, uh, we're focusing on, on satellite operations. So mm -hmm. uh, I'm talking about uh, um, sending commands to the satellite uh, to tell it what to do. Respect mm -hmm. telemetry, decoding it, you know, to check the health of the satellite, uh, monitoring if there's any anomaly, manning, uh, um, managing your ground network, you know, the ground stations to actually communicate with the satellite, um, planning activities from the satellite. Like, for example, if we talk about Earth, Earth observation, uh, like uh, taking a picture of a specific location, mm -hmm. um, performing uh, like, uh, I don't know, flight dynamics. Uh, uh, propagations mm -hmm. to see where the satellite is, where is it going to be, uh, doing uh, on-orbit maneuvers, mm -hmm. um, and then moving a bit upstream, uh, also like hardware testing, so mm -hmm. um, uh, managing uh, test cases, uh, managing like performing checkout systems, um, using the same tools to test the hardware and then use to operate, um, having all these tools connected. So that is a bit where we sit today, uh, but again, our vision 
is to connect the entire uh, life cycle of the mission together. Mm -hmm. Uh, because okay. today, um, how companies procure the systems, they they basically procure point solutions. So they buy like the one software for uh, doing the satellite design, mm -hmm. another software for uh, managing the tests, another software for managing the command and control, another software for managing the flight dynamics. And all of these softwares, they, they, they work individually. They're not connected to each other. They don't share data. Mm -hmm. And the problem with this is that data is locked in silos. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, if you need to, for example, automate operations, you need your tools to share data amongst each other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you want to reduce errors uh, in your data or you want to, to increase your speed and, and efficiency, you need your teams to work with the same, uh, the same data formats or the same um, databases. Because today you have different teams working with different data. Mm -hmm. uh, you mm -hmm. have teams moving data manually from one to another. Uh, working with different versions of the data, configuration management, it's its a mess when you are talking about constellations. Mm -hmm. um, so th this is where we see uh, the, the, the industry, the, the, the next step in the digitalization of the industry. This is where we see it is. The industry needs, let's say, a platform that connects end-to-end -end the mission lifecycle. Mm -hmm. And on this platform, then you can build all of these custom solutions for the design, the testing, the operations, and you can also connect third-party systems, third-party services, mm -hmm. have a fully integrated ecosystem end-to-end. -end. So it's kind of like, I mean, I don't know if this is the right comparison, but sort of like, um, you know, three to four decades ago, it's like what, uh, you know, SAP did for all of the business functions kind of thing, like you envisioned to kind of have this full ecosystem for, for space. Um, yes. Yes, I mean there's a there's a significant difference, um, uh, but I mean the, the your analogy is correct in the sense of of the, the vision of connecting everything together. Mm -hmm. um, the difference between uh, SAP and us, I mean, uh, apart from the technology, is that SAP basically is a vendor lock-in. So mm -hmm. when, uh, in the past, when a company goes to SAP, uh, you need to hire the SAP consultants to to mm -hmm. do things for you. You need mm -hmm. to buy the the tools from SAP. Mm -hmm. So then you're locked in, and and at the end, uh, it costs a fortune. What we have in our platform is basically a collection of APIs. Okay. And you take the ones you need to build the systems you need. Mm -hmm. These APIs can be replaced. These APIs uh, can easily connect to any third-party tool. So for example, we yeah. have customers using their own software for command and control of the mm -hmm. satellite, and they use Lean Space for the mission planning part. Yeah. I was actually going to, that was going to be our next question, whether you're, going to, you're doing, because this is very ambitious, right? Um, whether you're doing everything in-house or whether you are able to, um, you know, um, collaborate with third-party uh, software and applications. And it seems it seems the latter, you are able to cooperate with third parties. That is correct. Building everything in-house, uh, it makes no sense because mm -hmm. um, it, it's, it's too much, it costs too much money and it takes too much time, let's say. Mm -hmm. What we want to be is a platform that connects everything. Okay. Um, we are providing some building blocks uh, that can be used to build all these uh, systems. But um, what, what we allow is that, um, that um, other companies and our customers build these, um, let's say, uh, added value systems on top. Um, mm -hmm. For example, you have a lot of companies that are building um, really advanced uh, AI-powered algorithms for automation, 
for um, uh, anomaly yep. detection, for so, advanced decision making. I was actually, if I can jump in, I, can actually, I was actually going to ask you about two specific sort of things I can think of, and also they're tying back to some extent to previous episodes of the podcast. So one is, um, you know, we've had several people on already on the podcast talking about the whole space debris topic, and you know, people who are doing things like conjunction conjunction warnings, right? Which I mean, you were talking about um, that one of the things your software can do is send commands for maneuvering, right? And so I immediately thought about conjunction warnings. So for example, is that something you could tie into your plan? platform like you know we had for example arise from kehan space and, and there's obviously other companies like okapi in germany are those people who could collaborate with lean space and you could tie their their own like data feeds into your platform definitely i mean we, we're partnering with these companies and and the interesting thing is that today um if you have a, a tool that tells you the conjunction warning you have a different system that calculates the the maneuver that you have to perform to avoid the collision. And then you have another system that does the, the, the planning um, um, uh, optimization and, uh, and, uh, and updating. And then you have another tool to send the commands. You're going to have to need someone to actually move data from one place to the next. And hopefully he won't make any mistake, he or she. What we do is we connect everything together. So we actually allow satellite operators to automate this workflow end-to-end. -end. So you get the conjunction alert and automatically you can trigger an orbit propagation. To see, you know, like, if, if, like how this this collision will happen and when. Then you can actually activate automatically this um, avoidance maneuver. You can even have several scenarios. You can even compare the different scenarios. Mm -hmm. You can have a human in the loop in the points that you want, you know, for for validation. You can then automatically update the mission planning and update, uh, automatically send the commands and. You know, with this, all these mega constellations being being launched, these things cannot be done manually anymore. Uh, you, you know, Raphael, a, a few years ago, I think in 2019, um, you had um, there was this um, this uh, almost collision between a Starlink satellite and um, uh, and a scientific satellite from the European Space Agency. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, a few days before, they both got this collision alert. And they were talking to each other on the phone and sending emails to each other. Hey, can you move your satellite? No, no, you move yours. No, you, you. And at the end, they didn't, they didn't reach an agreement. And then ISA had to do like an emergency last minute avoidance maneuver. It was mm -hmm. the first time in the history of ISA they had to do this. Mm -hmm. This was highly publicized and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But the fact is that with all these mega constellations, these things have to be automated. Mm -hmm. You cannot do these things manually and sending emails at 3 a.m. on a Saturday. It makes, it makes no sense. We connect all these third-party services mm -hmm. with all the infrastructure satellite operators have. And even in the future, we will connect operators between themselves so that all these things can be automated. Okay. And I guess the interesting thing is, so in theory, you know, the more customers you have, you you have sort of like an ever-growing pool of, of, of data, right? Including what's going on in orbit, right? Question though is, so to some extent it could be good because I mean, you were talking sort of about people using AI for anomalies. And I guess, you know, if you had a really giant pool of data, then... Um, I could see, you know, being machine, a machine learning guy, I could see how that obviously that data set would help in things like, you know, building really good um, anomaly, like predictive maintenance, anomaly detection type algorithms. The question though is, can you really, can you really mingle that data? I can also see, knowing the space sector, I can also see some customers who would be very upset if their data gets mingled with other data. Yeah. I mean, of course, um, our customers own their data mm. and, and we cannot access it and we cannot use it. But I mean, the point you're making is extremely good. Um, a few weeks ago, I was in Silicon Valley uh, for, for an event, and I was actually on a panel about AI. Mm. And 
and the, the, the recurring topic um, all the, all the panelists they were um, they were working for companies performing super advanced ai algorithms and they were all saying we have the tech what we are missing is the data mm. we don't have enough data to actually train the models mm. That is where Lean Space comes in. That is why I was in the panel. What we allow is for satellite operators to have all the data available. And it's not only the data from now, but from the last 10 years. And with this data, they can actually train the models. We allow companies to have all the data centralized from the design phase to the test phase to the operational phase. So it's not that we train algorithms. They can train their own algorithms. Mm. So we allow them to actually utilize these AI-powered uh, tools because again, these tools, what they provide you are insights. Mm -hmm. And you know, if the data in is garbage, you know, garbage in, garbage out. So what we allow companies to actually utilize all these um, um, advanced uh, AI algorithms and, and make use of them uh, uh, to make an impact in their operations. Mm -hmm. And so while we're on the topic of AI, of course I have to ask because it's so timely. So I heard yesterday through the grapevine that another sort of let's call it the space-related software company, I'm not going to say the name because I'm not sure it's public, um, is now integrating a chat, chat GPT functionality into their product. Is there, just because that's such a big topic at the moment, I have to ask, is that something like you guys can see yourselves using somewhere? Um, not really, because um, again, we are not an AI company. Um, that is, uh, that's what our partners do. What we provide is the infrastructure the digital infrastructure of the space industry. Mm. We're creating an ecosystem where a lot of other companies can do all these value-added um, systems and services. Mm -hmm. And what we are, are the glue that connects everything together. Mm -hmm. Okay, understood. And so while we're on that architecture, so basically you guys said, I mean, you're basically a collection of, um, whatever you want to call it, libraries and APIs. APIs. It's, all, it's all based in the cloud, right? Yeah. And so one question I also have to ask here is, I mean, one way, I mean, you mentioned some other, you know, examples. And if I remember correctly, and sometimes you guys are also talking about Shopify as an example. So, of course, one big difference is sort of like, you know, if somebody hacks Shopify, that's pretty bad, but it's probably not ending the world. Like space is extremely strategic and there are clear adversaries, you know, trying to, you know, if you're talking about the Western world, trying to hack our systems all the time. So if I hear about stuff moving into the cloud, it inherently makes me very nervous. Like, how do you guys think about cybersecurity? Yeah, um, this is a very hot topic. Uh, and uh, and the interesting thing is that a lot of people think that their data is safer uh, in a server in their basement than in the cloud. And, and you know, the, the, the fact is that it's not. Yep, depends on, not in my basement, <laughs> but it depends on the basement, I guess. The basement is inside a Swiss mountain guarded by military. It's a different story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and of course, for some military applications, and, and there are edge cases, right? Um, yeah. But um, the, the cloud is extremely secure. And, and for example, um, one of the things that we, that we enable that is a massive security boost is a, a centralized security from data management. Uh, going to... No, no, going back to what I said before, when you have all these different uh, software tools to do different things, which are disconnected to each other, you have a lot of different usernames and passwords. You have a, you have to move data from one to the next. And this, when you move the data, that is not protected. Um, you, you have, uh, there's a lot of, um, let's say, points of breach. What we do, because everything is connected, we have a security parameter which centralizes all the authorization and authentication of all your users. Um, it encrypts all your data 
end to end, you know, mm -hmm. from the antenna to um, you know to to the cloud and everything around. Um, you have you have a much better way to manage your data, much much better and much simpler and much more powerful. And this you can only do if everything is connected. Um, so we also, for example, when we we're uh, sitting on top of AWS today, and we work with them mm -hmm. very much on on, on advancing these uh, these security features. And we we are, for example, um, working. We're having a lot of uh, commercial traction with um, with satcom operators, mm -hmm. so operators uh, operating geostationary satellites. But in the past, mm -hmm. they they had a big concern on on cloud technologies, and now actually they see lean space as a way. To, to improve the security of the data. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So that, that's a nice segue into sort of the next topic I want to talk about, which is sort of your 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 customers. Who who are your customers and and you know your, your target market? And you mentioned sort of uh, traditional you know geo operators. Um, I don't know if you were talking about traditional ones or or there's some newer ones as well. But if we start with sort of traditional companies, because there's obviously a lot of existing you know um, traditional geo operators, for example, have been around for a while. I've always by and large known them to be fairly conservative people. Um, how has it been approaching them with like a sort of a new way of doing things? Yeah, um, it is true that the space industry as a whole, and of course, uh, let's say the legacy uh, operators uh, have a very traditional mindset. Um, but you know, like uh, digital transformation today is it's a, a strategic competitive advantage, but it is also unavoidable. You know, it's you, you cannot stop this. Um, when all the industry is digitalizing itself, using digital technologies to become cheaper, faster, more efficient, you can you, you cannot just fall behind because you will become obsolete and eventually you will fade away. You know, um, the the CEO of Microsoft, Satya Nadella, um, uh, a few years ago he was on stage and 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 he has this famous quote. He said, "Like every company is a software company," um, and. Uh, no, when, when your business entirely is run through software, because of course companies have assets, mm -hmm. you have hardware assets, but you run your business with software. You have to start thinking and operating like a digital company. Mm -hmm. So you know it's not no, it's no longer about just like procuring like the one solution and deploying the the other one here. It, it's not about a simple software solution. It, it's it's about th these companies have to start thinking of their own future as a digital company and leveraging a platform like Lean Space, which connects the entire brain of their business and their space mission. It's, it's, a, it's a, I don't know, it, you, can, you can just leapfrog your competitors. Mm -hmm. And this is something which, again, is a strategic competitive advantage, but it's unavoidable if you want to stay relevant in the coming years. And, and I mean, speaking about leapfrogging, that's of course, um, so if we talk about not operators for a second, but about satellite integrators, that's of course what there's sort of like this breed of more recent, you know, satellite integrators that are obviously trying to do exactly that, not only on the software front, but sort of like, I guess, on the integrated hardware and software front, right? So, you know, names like, um, you know, Apex in the US that just got funding from Andreessen Horowitz last year or, or Reflex in Germany that also just got funding. Is that so that those kind of people stri strike me as sort of like natural ones for you guys to go to? And maybe because they're also just starting and designing the process, it's kind of like you don't have to deal with any legacy issues. Are you, I'm assuming you're approaching these people as well. And how's, how's that going? Well, definitely. They're natural partners for us. Um, in the space industry, um, we still have um, uh, this, let's say, this traditional mentality of building everything in house. Mm. Uh, and uh, a lot of a lot of people think, you know, because that's how we have been doing things for decades. 
but but this this um, this mind shift is changing. Um, and um, for example, um, we had we had some discussions with uh, with people from, uh, at Planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, and planet, I mean, one of I, I cannot say the name, but one of their of their um, executives, uh, he told us, look, if if lean space would have been around, like when we started the company, it would have been a no brainer. Um, you know, planet, and this this information is public, but you yeah. know, the, their opex mm. um, is um, is like 60 percent software, and the rest it's hard, hardware. Mm. And actually, like Robbie Schindler, um, he said at one point that when he started planet, he didn't realize. He was starting two companies, you know, a software yeah. and a hardware company, yes. and how eventually the software company actually became bigger. And and when when your business is not software, because the business of Planet is not software, the business of uh, Reflex and Apex is not software. Mm. Their business is different. It just makes sense to leverage companies that can do the software part better than you and can enable you, because that is how you actually accelerate and, and optimize costs. You know. Like leveraging the ecosystem of partners, not just rebuilding everything from scratch. So yes, th- these companies are natural partners, customers for us. Uh, it's, it's funny you mentioned Planet. I mean, we're not going to you know, talk specifically about competitors here, but but I mean, as as you and I know, there's two um, ex, two former C-level executives at Planet that basically set up a company that's in some way similar to Lean Space. So that's kind of completely validating validating the market, right? In my mind, but there's also part of something you know wider that's going on here, right? Because um, I mean, there's companies like like Lean Space, but then there's um, also companies tackling other sort of you know elements of software use in aerospace manufacturing, you know, companies like Epsilon 3 or Continuum or, or Azimuth. And then there's some, there's other people who are trying to like improve the, the actual hardware, like manufacturing side, right. Of, of aerospace, like Hadrian or additive space technologies, right. There seems to be sort of consensus view that the traditional way of aerospace manufacturing is just not, not very optimized. Let's put it this way. So you have all of these other new players, some of them with, you know, pretty good funding. Are you interacting with some of those guys? as well, both on the software and hardware side? Uh, these companies are natural partners also. So um, again, we don't provide um, the the solutions that these companies are providing. We mm-hmm. sit one level below. We are the space infrastructure. And what we enable is that all these companies can build the, let's say, the point solutions um, and just focus on that. And they can do it much better and integrate with the whole ecosystem. You know, like one the story we hear over and over again from um, all of our customers and, and the, the space companies we talk to is that one of the biggest pain points is having an integrated infrastructure. It's because, again, when you want to scale a company, I mean, again, not talking about uh, about specific examples, but uh, I, don't know, I don't want to name them, but there is a, a big constellation of um, satellite telecom- the satellite communications um, satellites mm-hmm. in Mm-hmm. It's a company that has uh, many of them already in orbit, mm-hmm. and they built their ground segment using mm-hmm. a very traditional approach. The, the traditional one, right? You procure the different systems from different vendors and whatnot. And, and the thing is that these point solutions are not meant to scale. They're not meant to talk to each other. So, you know, the mess, like stitching all these different technologies together, maintaining these interfaces, it became an amazing mess. I was very close to 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 this project, let's say, and they poured like millions and millions of dollars on this, and they have they have an, a massive team of software people just maintaining this thing alive while it is not their business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we see this happening over and over again, and then you see other companies in which take more digital approach, and you see that they are extremely more efficient in in how they can operate their businesses. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And 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 you're right. I mean, it's this kind of development that you know is is kind of natural, and and it should happen that people really you know realize what's not their business, and then ideally just focus on what is their business. And that's sort of you know similar to another another big trend in space. I guess that's going on is that I mean, you mentioned Planet. Planet really built everything themselves, right? Because they didn't really have a choice, right? Because yeah. they started from memory in 2010, and 2010 <laughs> space looked very different from what it looked looks like right now. Fortunately. <laughs> But of course now a very big trend is like let's say you if you started like a planet or like like some other EO or even co- satellite company, some space applications company today, right? You don't have to do everything yourself anymore. You you can basically go to um you know sometimes called constellation as a service or space as a service providers like you know Spire does it, Endurosat does it, Astro Digital, there's there's more and more people doing it. So the question I was going to get at get to actually is in your sort of commercial efforts, you go to market, do you approach these sort of space as a service companies and the integrators because they are you almost like potential multipliers or do you actually or I should say and or do you also go to the actual operators? Um we, we go to everyone um because um uh, th- that that is a power of um this 80-20 approach. Um for us like for the operators um we give them the 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 tools for them to build the custom solutions to manage their specific workflows and to manage the specific characteristics of their mission. For system integrators, we give them the tools to build um, ground software, which is use um, application agnostic. Because um, it, it happens that they will build different satellites of different sizes, potentially with different protocols, with different payloads or different customers. So they need software tools that are actually you know agnostic to the to the technology on board the spacecraft so we have we enable all these use cases and it's even more so we have today customers that are launcher companies mm-hmm. we have customers which are uh, managing ground networks mm-hmm. we have customers doing um uh, debris removal space debris removal we have customers that are um, earth observation constellations iot constellations um, geostationary satellite, uh, satcom satellites. We have, we serve all these different use cases again because we have the couple, the eighty percent, which is the generic infrastructure, with the twenty percent, which is the the specific part for the use case. And this is this is so powerful. This is so powerful. Mm-hmm. So keeping this all in mind, and sort of, I mean, what what you guys want to do at Lean Space, but then also sort of this wider market. We started discussing now about you know aerospace um, manufacturing and then asset operation. I don't know, like pick a right time frame, or it's five years from now or 10 years from now, where do you think things are going? Where, what would you like to see in that sort of like medium, longer term time frame? You mean for us or for the industry? Well, both, because you, you hope to be an integral part of the industry, right? Yeah. I mean, we want to be an enabler. We want to be, we want to be the digital infrastructure of the space industry. We, need, we want to enable everyone to do better space missions. We want to enable... Companies like you mentioned, Okapi, and there's others like ICO and all these companies to be able to develop these powerful algorithms and make them available to satellite operators. I want um, companies building new space missions to do so much faster and much cheaper. I want constellations to be able to grow from one satellite to 100 uh, just with the click of a button. Um, I want, uh, and this I'm, I'm not just saying, so um, uh, actually, if you allow me to do a parenthesis, um, uh, talking about the digitalization, uh, last year um, uh, in the SmallSat event in Utah, mm-hmm. we demonstrated 
uh, using uh, our technology, um, how to ramp up a satellite constellation mm -hmm. um, drastically faster. So first, we connected to uh, we are connected to some uh, um, system design tools. So um, we had a, 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 um, let's say a mission control system built on InSpace, and this system. Uh, was connected to this um, satellite design tool. So with a click of a button, all the database from the satellite design tool could actually uh, it was imported into uh, into Lean Space and to the mission control mm -hmm. for one satellite. And then mm -hmm. we demonstrated live uh, uh, when you had this satellite completely configured, how to add four new more satellites. And with a click of a button, in a, in, in a matter of minutes, these new satellites were completely configured. And I'm talking about um, you know, um, all the the dashboards were configured, all the connections with the ground stations, all the all the uh, the monitoring systems, the the commanding chain, the telemetry chain. The whole thing was configured in a matter of minutes. And mm -hmm. of course, in the real life, you would need some validation. And, mm -hmm. but, but this this normally takes months, depending on the size of the satellites, can take that can, that can take years. Mm -hmm. And and we just did it in a few minutes. And this is because we use modern technologies. In this case, it's infrastructure as code mm -hmm. that allow uh, allow companies to do things drastically faster, automated, much easier. And this is a game changer for a lot of companies, especially for the constellations. Understood. So this is what I want to see in ten years. I want to okay. see companies leveraging our technology to actually make space missions easier, cheaper, and faster. Yeah, take the friction out of like deploying space business models. That's what we all want. What so what do, you, what do you think are sort of the biggest risks to that vision? The biggest risks? Um, I think, it, I mean, the risks are that the space industry, although we we believe that we are super forward thinking and advanced, and in reality, we are extremely traditional. And yeah. I think the biggest risk is that people um, people don't change their mindset towards a more digital engineering approach. For example, recently I was talking to a, to a ver, uh, to an established Earth observation satellite operator. Their operator, they're operating a few EO satellites um, since many years, a uh, very successful company. And they, um, they operate their satellites using systems running on Windows 95. Mm. Yeah. Windows 95 is technology from 30 years ago. Yeah. And they were telling me about all these problems and issues and it's a mess it's a mess but they're like i don't want to touch it just in case this minds yeah we have that's, that's i mean yeah we're just just to kind of take a devil's advocate of you but this is a discussion we could kind of have, have for hours and sort of <laughs> gonna close it off here but it goes back this is why i asked about cybersecurity, right i mean of course there's like stupidity people using old systems just whatever because they're like stuck in their ways but then there's like, you know, there's this old joke, not a joke, it's a fact, right? That not, not insignificant parts of the global financial system are running on COBOL, right? I mean, and COBOL is like a really antique, you know, uh, program. And, and but the reason is that people are just so worried about resilience and stuff breaking down. But, you know, there, there has to be sort of a happy, happy middle way, something where we, you know, we have both resilience and security and, and, and can move forward, mm. I would think. Yeah, I, I honestly don't think that security and cloud are incompatible. I think cloud... Is is an the unavoidable next step, mm. like it or not, because it has like so many benefits that sure. you know not not adopting the cloud is just you know staying in the middle ages. The yeah. question is like how can we make the cloud 
Exactly. Secure. And secure for all these edge use cases. There's yeah. many people working on that, fortunately. So, so, so that's good. And I agree. Like, you know, we, we, we're not arguing for like not having the cloud. That would be ridiculous. But let's let's shift gears a little bit. Um, you guys are based in Strasbourg. I think you are our first space company that's um, on a podcast that's from Strasbourg. Strasbourg, of course, is very dear to my heart. I mean, I love the city. I grew up near Strasbourg. And and of course, I'm, I'm an alumnus of the International Space University. And you guys were in the incubator there, I think. Can you just give us maybe like a couple of sentences how you know how that experience was the ISU incubator and being based in Strasbourg? Yeah, um, so um, we actually the four co-founders we met in Germany. We were living in Germany, and we decided to start the company in Strasbourg for a few reasons. First, it's because you know um, two of our co-founders are uh, alumni of uh, the International Space University. Mm-hmm. It's a fantastic network of people, and uh, not only for recruiting, of course, mm-hmm. uh, but also for you know, like being in the ecosystem. Um, then we we believe that the space industry is international, so we didn't want to be a German company or a French company or a Spanish company. The four co-founders we have four different nationalities, so we are Canadian, Indian, French, and Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and we wanted to build an international company. And Strasbourg is a very international city. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and today we are like uh, around forty five people, and we have more than twenty nationalities in the team. Okay. So that, those were dear to our heart. Um, and then again, in France, for example, we have two aerospace hubs, which is Paris and Toulouse. Paris, yeah. We didn't want to be just yet one more company there. Mm-hmm. We wanted to to carve our own our own story and, and create uh, the space ecosystem that the International Space University wanted for Strasbourg back in the day. We wanted to to also contribute to this, so that's why we decided to to start in Strasbourg. Very very happy to hear. And another our as you probably know, our last question on the podcast is always the same. It's about science fiction and whether you like science fiction. And of, of course, I always hope that my guests do like science fiction because otherwise I basically don't know what to say next. And, but if you do like science fiction, then you could just give us one or two examples of your favorites and it could be movies or TV shows or books. Yeah, um, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan. <laughs> uh, what a surprise, right? I mean, I think everyone working in space is a huge fan of space uh, uh, science fiction. Um I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, of uh, reading science fiction books mm-hmm. more than watching anything. Um, right now, for example, I'm finishing uh, The Expanse uh, mm-hmm. uh, book series. Mm-hmm. Um, fantastic, highly recommended. Um, I I mean, I can recommend, for example, the the Mars trilogy, mm-hmm. uh, Red Planet, uh, Green Planet, Blue Planet. An amazing journey of like, if someday, oh no, if not. When we actually uh, colonize Mars, I believe that is how it's going to happen. How we, that is how we actually we will tear up from the planet. Um, and then I can I can recommend so many books, you know, from like uh, like the Moon is a Harsh Mistress uh, mm-hmm. to like Nightfall from um, um, Isaac Asimov to Hyperion, for example. Oh, Hyperion is great. Yeah, it's where, where do I start? Where do I finish? Right? Um, science fiction makes me dream. And and I, I want a future for space. For, sorry, I want a future for humans in which we can spread the seed of life uh, throughout our solar system and and beyond. Um, because if we keep tethered into this planet, we will eventually extinguish as as a, as a species. So yeah. I see this bright future. I believe in it, and that's what we're trying to you know to contribute to in lean space. Yeah, and I I totally agree that I mean software by very definition has to 
play an integral part in this. It's funny actually while you're talking and then you mentioned Hyperion. I was like thinking like because some some one thing I always try to do during this last question is to think if there's something I can think of in science fiction works that relates back to you know the the business that the guest is 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 doing. And I was thinking, what's like software depictions in science fiction? And I was like. So everything I can think of is basically like the negative examples of AI going rogue, right? Like <laughs> Hell 9000 and 2001, you mentioned Hyperion. I mean, I don't want to spoil the book, it's such a fantastic book, but basically also like AI is going rogue on you on, on humanity. But <laughs> that's obviously not the note we want to end up on. I think, you know, what, what you guys are doing is fantastic. I think software is an absolutely integral part, frankly, of everything and hence also of the of the space industry. And, you know, good luck on your continued journey. Thanks. Um, just one note of a... Uh, of, uh of a good example of how AI went right in science fiction books, Please. I can recommend the Culture series. Oh, you're completely right. Of course. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Great series. Fully agree with your recommendation. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, no. And that's Lean Space will <laughs> enable uh, a the future in the culture, hopefully. That's a fantastic note to, to, to end on. Avro, thank you so much again. Thank you so much, Rafael. It was a pleasure to be in your podcast. Well, that's it for another nominal episode of the Space Business Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider giving it a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform, such as iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore space. Also consider supporting us at www.patreon.com forward slash space business podcast. If the podcast got you interested in learning more about the business opportunities in the space economy, Check out my new online course on space entrepreneurship on udemy.com. The link is in the episode description. Lastly, if you have any feedback, including ideas for guests, and that may include yourself if you have an exciting space story to tell, or interested in being a sponsor, drop us an email at spacebusinesspodcast at gmail.com. I look forward to seeing you for the next episode.